Hello and welcome to the Carolina Snowflakes podcast, where two Southerners come to terms with their liberal snowflake tendencies. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda. And I'm Jason. And we are here with episode number five of our Black Lives Matter series here on the Carolina Snowflakes podcast. This is a series where we take a look into the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the issues that they are talking about and dealing with and bringing up. And quite frankly, we're white people, and this topic is gigantimous. Yeah, we're incredibly white, yes. And so (laughs) as we've dove into it, we've realized that it's gigantic and so big that it's not something we could ever hope to encapsulate in one episode. I'm I'm learning every day about issues that affect uh, black people and black folks around this country. And I think as we move forward, we decided to do a monthly catch-up where we where we describe and talk about the things that we've learned. Right, because what happens inevitably when we pick a topic within the BLM movement to, to discuss, we then separate off and go and do our research mm-hmm. into it. And inevitably, it's like playing a video game where yeah. you start with one goal in mind, but then you get pulled aside into a side quest. Yes. And before you know it, you're down a deep rabbit hole of mm-hmm. information and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to I have to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we've kind of slowed down this, this series from being a weekly segment to being a monthly to give us time to really gather our thoughts and gather information so that we can come back and share it here. Yeah, and we can share it in chunks. And I think that's what we've decided to to do today uh, is to tackle it, to tackle certain parts of the issues that Black Lives Matter are bringing up. Because our original intent for this episode was actually to just do black representation in media, which is a good topic, but it's not a topic that I could do in one episode. When we both decided to do our own research, it became immediately quick. What is media is a giant term. Right. We were like, Black representation in media. Yes, that sounds like an excellent topic. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, okay, well. What does media mean? <laughs> and then we realized, oh, well, media is all encompassing of right. all sorts of things. And then there's like subcategories within those. And right. it's like, okay, well, this is too big for even one episode. It, it, you, in theory, you could do a whole show, not even just a podcast, but an entire show on it and still only scratch the surface. We've decided to bring in a couple of things that we think are related to the topic of black representation in media and kind of space them out. And generally, when I was thinking about the entire topic, I did realize that we do need to say why it all matters, though. What is the point of addressing the representation of black people in media? And I found an interesting quote from, uh, I believe this was from Wikipedia. (laughs) Wikipedia. But it says, for various reasons, media of all types collectively offer a distorted representation of the lives and reality of black males. So we see a distorted representation of black people. And then media consumption negatively affects the public's understandings and attitudes related towards black males. So because you are seeing a distorted representation, then your attitude towards them changes. Finally, these distorted understandings and attitudes towards black males lead to a negative real world consequences for them. So now you've seen media that misrepresents them then you believe the wrong things about them and then you treat them in a way that affects them negatively. And that cycle repeats. It's over and over and over again. And that's the reason why looking into how black folks are represented in media is important. Because if we don't get it right, then we end up with a cycle that repeats and they're constantly suffering at the bottom of it. It's a self-feeding. And it's an incredibly skewed perspective. Mm -hmm. And what happens is white people like ourselves get suckered into it Mm -hmm. if every day when you turn on the news you're inundated with pictures of black men as criminals right you absorb that Mm -hmm. you um internalize that and and i think yeah. yeah and it affects how then in your real life out and about in the world how you view and treat mm-hmm. and interact with black men mm-hmm. or black people. And I believe that there are artists who are trying to show us that by being exaggerated versions of what we fear as musicians or artists. And that's why they wear the costume of the thing that supposedly scares you mm-hmm. because they're showing you how fake the whole thing is. And I feel like a lot of people don't see art that way. It's too complicated. But I believe that in there's some there are artists out there, black artists, who are deliberately trying to show you that. And I think a lot of white people miss it. 
uh, rappers would be a category where it happens a lot. Oh, for sure. And we're going to bring that up in this episode for yes, sure. Yes, we will. But when I was thinking about uh, this topic, my my mind immediately went to the show Cops. Oh, yeah, the TV show mm-hmm. from the 80s and 90s. When I just think about black people being represented on TV, my brain or I went guess it's been on for a long time, it's like been since on the since 80s. 1989 right? was yeah. the premiere of the television show Cops. And so my brain went to that. I think that's kind of where we're going to open up. So when we're talking about Cops, the TV show, we have to think about how prevalent it is. I think that's really important to state off the bat. So Live PD, which is sort of an expansion of Cops, it's not owned by the same company. It wasn't, but they were both canceled this year. Yeah, Um, I remember earlier in 2020, mm -hmm. both of those came to an end. Yeah, and I think for some people, it might have flown under their radar that that even happened. But to understand how big that is, this was the would have been the 33rd season of Cops. It started in 1989. That's crazy. I actually didn't realize that it had been on that mm-hmm. long. Like, I I guess because they play so many or played so many reruns, I just always associated with it with the 80s and 90s. You're right. Well, what's fascinating about that is it's mostly been later episodes that were massive. I mean... The show was the number one, Live PD was the number one dvr show of 2018. So more people dvr and recorded Live PD than any other show. Well, you and I watched Live PD a few times. I loved Cops. And to give you an idea of how much I love Cops, I could sing the whole theme song. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to spare you all from that. Yeah, please don't. Yeah, Yeah, But I could. And if you want to know something fascinating, go to YouTube and type kids singing Cops theme song. And you'll find about 170-something thousand results. Of little tiny children, bad boys, bad boys. It's kind of funny, but it's also just shows you how prevalent the show is. Yeah, well, but Cops and Live PD are two different shows. They are. Uh, Live PD came later. Yeah, that was newer. And it was the reason that it got so popular is because you were like riding along with mm-hmm. the officers as they were on patrol or mm-hmm. going to calls. Whereas with Cops, it was a little more... Mm-hmm. Uh, produced i guess would be the word it was was editing there was editing involved yeah that's one of the first problems with the show cops so there's a many many problems yeah why they canceled it it was canceled amid the george floyd protests and oh yeah it's because the representations of crime on the show cops were completely off i mean to ridiculous degrees and i could go and explain a lot of things wrong with cops that have no relationship to to black people but there's already a podcast that does that uh, there's a show called Running from Cops. It came out around 2017, 2018. This is a podcast? It's a podcast. Okay. Headlong, uh, colon, Running from Cops. Or if you just type in Running from Cops, you'd find it. It's pretty popular. NPR did a big story on it. And it is an in-depth version of all the things wrong with the show. So is every episode about the show? Yes. Or like a part of the show? and Yeah, it's like a eight-part series. Oh, okay. Um, And they interview like the creator, uh, Jeff Langley. Mm-hmm. productions uh and it goes into a lot um and it's a great show and you should definitely give that a listen if you want to know the some of the other problems with the cops but specifically there were racial problems right and th- it's interesting in the beginning of cops it was pointed out almost right away in 1995 so six years after the show started there was a paper that got put out that was showing that black people were massively overrepresented in the arrests um, to the point where it was ridiculous, um, where you could predictably watch the show Cops and know in the first segment. So every episode is divided by three segments. The first one is usually the usually a black person getting arrested, almost always. Then the second one was usually where they tried to kind of balance it out and they would put a white person. And then the third one's always the most exciting, where someone runs. Yeah, there's a chase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can see that formula over and over again in the show if you watch enough of it i certainly did that's interesting i i didn't know that they had a formula to every episode but now that you've said what Mm -hmm. that formula is i'm like oh yeah you're right because i've seen enough episodes Mm -hmm. of cops that's completely true you get a black person on a drug crime you get a white person acting crazy and then you get someone running and that's a show interesting Um, okay yeah and it was particularly egregious so when this paper came out in 95 there was a lot of criticisms that got written on in newspapers and magazines about the television shows so they decided to switch it up and if you study the racial mix-up and the crimes from say last season in 2019 or 2018 you end up seeing (laughs) they fixed it they made they made sure that the racial mix-up of what they show is accurate and the way they did that is they moved to cities like spokane portland seattle um, if you watch the early okay. episodes of Cops, you'll realize they're all in Miami. 
Las Vegas. Um, there's some in South Carolina. They were in those cities. And in order to balance it out, to get white people doing crazy shit, they had to go. They had to go to the white to people To Spokane, cities. Washington, to Seattle, okay. to So Portland. that was like cops, the mm-hmm. show's effort to be more diverse. Right. Because that paper got written that showed that they were vastly overrepresenting it. So they were like, we need to get white people doing shit. So it's fascinating to look. If you look at the locations of the show Cops, you can find this on Wikipedia where Cops was filmed. You'll see that in 1995, it took a shift and all of a sudden they're in Spokane and they're in Portland and they're in Seattle. They were like, crap, we're, mm-hmm. we're arresting too many black people on the show. We need right. to go find some crazy white folks. Mm-hmm. So they went to where there just weren't any black people, which is a problem kind of in and of itself. You... Yeah. I mean, it's all very racial, mm-hmm. racist, whether it's blatantly arresting black people mm-hmm. or trying to avoid black people right. so that they don't seem like they're being racist, even though the fact that there are no black people in these cities or uh-huh. very few black people right. in these cities is also inherently racist. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's one of the major racial component problems with the show. And I I thought, to tell you the truth, I loved Cops. I always watched it. And it had dawned on me that there there was some racial problems. Specifically, there was an episode you and I saw where there was a black guy and a white guy getting arrested together. Oh yeah, the young they were young, young like, guys, like and, probably like 19, 20 mm-hmm. years old. And they had gotten arrested with a bunch of weed. They got pulled over. Yeah. And the cop was searching the car mm-hmm. and it belonged to the white kid. It did belong to the white kid and the black kid like puts his hands behind his back, sits down on the ground and saying, "Yes, sir." The white kid is standing up, getting in the cop's face, yelling, talking about he's going to get his dad. Yeah, like, I'm going to get my mom down here if you don't let me mm-hmm. go. And the officer's, like, searching the vehicle for drugs. Mm-hmm. And it was just the juxtaposition yep. between how the black guy, the mm-hmm. black kid, handled it, the situation versus the white yes. kid. He, there was he, so he much shocked. Yeah, there was so much white entitlement yes. happening. And so, the, yeah, the, the black kid... Was like, he, what are you doing? He immediately, he just puts his hands behind his back. He wasn't cuffed. Mm-hmm. And he sits down on the sidewalk waiting for the cop to do whatever the cop is doing. But the white kid is combative, yes. arguing, threatening. Mm-hmm. And you can see on the, the black kid's face, yeah, this look just... of like, what are you doing? <laughs> he I mean, that one was so blatant, we did notice. We did. We actually were like, do you, do, what, yeah. what is happening here? Yeah, that kid looks shocked because I, it was. it's easy for that to go under the radar unless you're studying all these episodes. And that's the interesting thing about this podcast is they did. They sat down and watched 850 episodes and came up with 62,000 data points. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Of who got arrested and race and when and when it happened in the episode and everything. And then they started charting those and points and they were the like, data. wow, okay. There are trends here. There, there are, are things patterns. you can see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating is that they fixed the racial one. So if you go back and look, they really did make the racial representation accurate to the population of the United States and crime statistics. Well, in the United I States. mean, let's put quotes around fixed. Right. They they fixed the perception. They band-aided what mm-hmm. was being seen. They didn't exactly. fix it. But that's why they were able to get away with it for so long. And I find that interesting. It wasn't a, again in 2004, 2005, another paper got released about cops representation of black males specifically. Mm-hmm. So th- when this paper came out, there was, you know, a little bit of stir. I think some money changed hands. I don't know all the, the details, but it is a big paper. It was a college po- published paper and if you just search for uh television show cops and black male representation it's like the first thing you'll find so okay it is an extensive paper that came out then about the same thing it kind of had a lot of the same conclusions that they had done effort to make sure that if you check the boxes the racial makeup of crimes reflects close to the statistics of the fbi as far as distribution of race but it certainly wasn't anywhere close to real reflective of the reality of crime in America. Right. That is an interesting point that it's not necessarily just reflects on black people, but it's interesting to note that cops had about four times more violent crimes than in real life. They had about 10 times more arrests for sex work than in real life and about three times more drug arrests than in Well, real they life. would have... I mean, they would have an entire episode dedicated to a prostitution state. Right. 
So, yeah. And if you take the percentage of arrests that happen on the show versus the percentage of that arrests that happen in real life for prostitution, it's 10 times lower. I mean, they make it seem like there are prostitutes just everywhere. Uh, they're crawling out of all the corners. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that it's really cool to note is that the, how good the cops are at their job. So when the show started in 1990, 89, 90, the first percentage of interactions with police that ended in arrest was about 61%. So that's still much higher than that's pretty high yeah. than average. Normally, 61% of interactions with police do not end in arrest. It's much, much lower. But that's what it was depicted on, on cops. Now, in last season, the 32nd season, it was 95% of interactions ended in arrest. That's insane. So <laughs> on cops, they are really, really good at arresting people. And that's kind of part of where this plays into black representation on media because what they're trying to do is get you to believe that interactions with the police end in arrest. Well, that's yes and no. I think from a white person's perspective, like you're just run-of-the-mill average white person mm -hmm. and you're watching cops, they're not only skewing the perspective of black people as criminals, mm -hmm. they're also in a way upholding police officers as champions and mm -hmm. heroes that are keeping these criminals yes. off the streets. So you're actually getting two views, mm -hmm. two perspectives when you're watching exactly. cops. Exactly. That's gross. And I never thought about that before. I mean, if you think about it, Cops is a show for white people to be entertained by watching cops arrest black people. Yeah, more yeah, and for more violent and more drug crimes than exist in the real world because they want you to think that they're the only line stopping separating you from that chaos. Yeah. I've the, never thought I just that just came to me. I've never thought of yeah. that before. Like what mm -hmm. the purpose of, or even if it wasn't unspoken purpose. It, I think it was spoken and they were interacting with the police so there's some things you should know. Police have the final edit in cops. That's part of the contract. So any Thing that has oh. ever been aired on the television show Cops was approved by the police. They of have course, then they're going to try to make themselves edit. look like exactly. heroes and saviors and exactly the good guys. Mm -hmm. And wow. so, okay, that is in that. the contracts. And then another thing is that they have to work with the police. So, if you've noticed previously to the show Cops, when you would see news film uh, police arrests and everything, they would have to stay behind the police tape. Uh, they would cordon off crime scenes, and they didn't. They couldn't have cameras, and the only reason they're allowed to. The reason cops would grant that access is because they have final edit. Because they got to make sure that they were portrayed mm -hmm. in a certain light. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship. That's crazy. That's mm -hmm. gross. It is. And very fascinating all at the same time. Yeah, and it was 33 years. And the thing is, they're talking about bringing it back. I imagine they're going to try to bring it back. Of course they will. Mm -hmm. It's a moneymaker. And so as uh, I, I don't often make predictions on this podcast, but I want to make two right now. One is that they're going to bring the show cops back, especially if Donald Trump wins the election. Oh. Two, my second prediction is that if Donald Trump wins the election, you won't hear anything about the deficit for another four years. And that if Joe <laughs> Biden wins the election, all you're going to hear about is the deficit for the next four years. Those are my two predictions. Write those down. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And that sort of isn't all that there is wrong with cops, but it is a scratching the surface. And if you would like to know more, check out the show Running From Cops. The next subject we wanted to talk about today was uh, what you thought of when we discussed black representation in media, and that was... Awards shows. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you, your brain went to mm -hmm. the show Cops and News and portrayal of black folks on these shows like Cops and Life mm -hmm. PD. Um, when I thought of the portrayal of black people in media, I went to award shows. Yeah. Because I had um, some understanding of, like, you remember in 2015, the Oscar So White phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you'd have to be living under a rock yeah. to, <laughs> to not be aware of that, of, uh -huh. this, of the, the fact that our Oscars, our ceremonies for awards, for movies and acting have predominantly been dominated by mm -hmm. white people and especially white men. Yeah. Um, for forever. Mm -hmm. And so I started off with that, looking into um, the Oscars, and I quickly kind of took a turn and realized, wait a minute, this is something that's also happening in the world of the Grammys. Yeah. And Grammys. I'm like, why is this not front and center yeah. the further I went? Like, why is there not a hashtag mm -hmm. Grammys so white? Okay. The Grammys, as you know and I know, are an awards ceremony. They're held annually. For music. For music, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, 
they are awards that are presented by the Recording Academy mm-hmm. to recognize achievements in the music industry. And they cover all major genres. I believe it's a reference to the gramophone. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Mm-hmm. But they do. They cover all major genres. And then within those genres, they have subcategories um, where they celebrate and um, cheer mm-hmm. achievements for things like albums, songs, songwriting, mm-hmm. producing. Right. Um, Etc. Mm-hmm. And then within this, the larger categories of genres like country music or rap music, they have subcategories right. that get very, very specific and yeah. very niche. Like uh-huh. everything from like best new artist to specific awards like best classical vocal solo. Yeah. Or, yeah, or producer of the year. Yeah. So it's, how it's, do you define new and a new artist? Like I guess new that year. Yeah, how did or, it come out that year? I guess I'm assuming. A, I don't know. There's all probably the, a rule. There are. There's lots of rules. With the Grammys, the most coveted and highest award that you can mm. be given is album of the year. Yeah. Like that is the one mm-hmm. that everyone vies for oh, and yeah. wants. And if you get album of the year, it's just going platinum. You are top dog. Like yeah. that means you are number one, the best. Yeah, that's awesome. So the Grammys started in 1959, like the ceremony wow. itself. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I didn't know that. Hmm. Um, so 61 years. That the Grammys have been happening. Wow. I bet it was real racist back in the day. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in that 61 years, only 10 black wow. artists have ever won oh. album of the year. Wow. 10. That is sad. I know. I didn't know that either. I had no idea. Like, first of all, that's statistically ridiculous because... Uh, they're about 20% of the population, so How if they anything, only... it should be one out of five. Right. If we're, yeah, that's crazy. When I read that, I thought, why are people not screaming about this? Yeah, Grammy's so white. Yeah, hashtag Grammy's so white. Damn. Would you like to take a guess as to who won, which black artist won the first album of the year? The first? Uh-huh. Oh, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe Louis Armstrong or something? No, it was well after that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was Stevie Wonder. Okay, Stevie Wonder. In 1974 with his album, Inner Visions. Okay, okay. But think about that. So wow. the Grammys began in 1959. Wow. And the first black artist yeah, to win wasn't until 74. Yeah, see, that just doesn't make any sense. Like... It just think about all the reasons why that doesn't make sense. It's yeah, crazy. no, it's... it's I, it makes you speechless. Yeah, it like does. how is that even real? Yeah. So he won in 1974, and the next black artist to win Michael Jackson wasn't until 10 years later. Wow. And yes, it was Michael, Michael Jackson, Jackson with his Thriller was yeah. his album. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And it should be every five years, just so you guys, just so anybody listening keeps track. If we were on average, like we should be, it would right. be about every five if years. If we were going by statistics. Uh huh. Yes, it should be a black artist winning on average about every five years. If if it was reflective of the population even remotely. Yeah, but wow. it's not. Wow. Yeah, so Jackson won in 1984. Then in 1985, Lionel Richie won with Can't Slow Down. Wow. Then 1991, Quincy Jones mm-hmm. won with Back on the Block. Really good album. I by barely the way. remember that. That was when I very first was becoming cognizant of the Grammys. Yeah, and like music in mm-hmm. general. Yeah, no, I that album. If you if anyone's interested, just go, just get yeah. it, just listen to Quincy Jones back yeah. on the block. It's it so good, mm-hmm. and he's got like um, feature artists and yeah. collaborations. Mm. Really, really good. Okay. Then in '92, Natalie Cole, okay, won with "Unforgettable with Love." '94, Whitney Houston with "The Bodyguard," oh, amazing singer. '99, mm. so five years later, 
Lauren Hill yeah. one with the miseducation of yeah. Lauren Hill. And by the way, she was the first hip hop artist. That is an epic album, by the way. To win. Yes. She's the first hip hop artist to win mm-hmm. album of the year. That's like, that album is super influential. It's a very important album. Then five years after that, in 2004, Outkast won with Speaker Box yeah. slash The Love Below. Oh, yeah. That was a good year. Yeah, it was, was a good, good year. year. <laughs> it was a good uh-huh. year. I, I was there. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then in 2005, Ray Charles posthumously won. That's crazy. Well, that's awesome. With Genius Loves Company. And then in 2008, Herbie Hancock one with River, the Joni Letters, which is a little bit of a controversy unto itself because it's all cover songs of Joni Mitchell, who was the white lady folk singer, Mm -hmm. and he's a black guy covering white lady music. Yeah, that's weird. And that's that's it. There has not been a black performing artist winning album of the year since 2008. No. Whoa. Yeah. So, Whoa. yeah. So here we are. It's 2020 now. Uh-huh. So that's 12 years. I know. And I remember people getting butthurt about Leonardo DiCaprio not having an Oscar. And I was one of them. But now I'm butthurt about Beyonce not having a Grammy. That's bullshit. Exactly. So here's the thing about Beyonce and others. Mm-hmm. Most black artists who win a Grammy mm-hmm. do so only within the confines of the genre that yeah. they represent. They'll get best hip hop album. Yeah. And so they kind of, even they don't say it, they don't say it, but it's like you have white music yeah. and then you have black music. That's bullshit, man. Beyonce has actually won 24 Grammys. Yeah. Total. 18 of them have all been within wow. the confines of R&B wow. and or um, like pop and that sort of That's thing. That's crazy. So she's won Grammys, but she's never won Album no of the Year. Yeah, I didn't know this either. Wow. She she did win one major category award, so not Album of the Year, but like a step below with um, uh, 2010 Single Ladies, mm-hmm. which won Song of the Year. Yeah. Which I believe happened right after that, that debacle where Kanye... Mm-hmm. Went on stage and yeah. took Taylor Swift's microphone yeah. at the VMA yeah. Awards. Yeah, he did do that. Because Beyonce had been nominated for that mm-hmm. and lost to Taylor Swift. Yeah. And then the following year, mm-hmm. she was nominated. Um, I believe she was nominated actually for Album of the Year, lost again to Taylor Swift. Mm. And they gave her this award instead. Mm. Yeah. Something fishy about that. She got some beef with Taylor, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> I find that to be kind of some bullshit. It's definitely bullshit. Yeah. Um, Beyonce, though, has been nominated four times um, Mm -hmm. for Album of the Year, but she's never actually won. Here's what I found interesting about this whole thing happening. There's, There's this guy named John Villanova, and he's writing a book right now. He's like a PhD guy. Okay. Looking at specifically racism within the Grammys. What he noted is that so the Grammys are presented by the National Academy of Recording Artists. Uh-huh. And they are essentially the party that's responsible for setting the standards. Okay. So to be awarded a Grammy is like is a statement basically saying that like congratulations you have achieved excellence okay right but there's no real like measure mm-hmm. or quantifiable way to gauge what is excellence yeah when it comes to these awards uh-huh. and everything's done very hush hush right i don't know if you know how they do this i i learned it i learned about it but like so there's a ten thousand member panel right of all different types of like music people right like artists mm-hmm engineers producers etc and they actually have to buy their way in you have a membership fee Mm. to be in this committee and it predominantly skews white yeah i'm sure so not only are the standards vague in how they decide who wins Mm. but they seem to almost always skew towards the white you know side of things for example most major category wins like album of the year are given to artists who play instruments yeah or have a live band mm-hmm. as opposed to artists who use synthesizer music yeah so are they saying that synth music or pop mm-hmm. music or hip hop is not worthy of excellence are they saying that that's not excellence in music yeah i think there's a long history of that i think there's a long long history of 
the music that gets considered good being music that only rich people have the means to make. It just doesn't seem fair because I know in my personal tastes when it mm-hmm. comes to music, I love hip hop. Right. And you could, I love synth beats. But somebody who was poor couldn't grow up playing harpsichord. And because of that, if you consider harpsichord to be the ultimate and best in music, then you can just discount all poor people. That's what I mean. Yes. And there's been a long history of that happening in music. <laughs> there's also irony involved. So we have these black artists, these hip hop artists mm-hmm. that are losing these major awards to the white artists mm-hmm. who ironically draw heavily right. from black oh, music yeah. traditions. Oh, yeah. In fact, one of the like what we think of as like the whitest of white possible music, bluegrass. Yeah. Has its origins straight from Africa. Yeah, African roots. The banjo itself mm-hmm. came from Africa. Yeah. It literally came on the, the slave ships yeah. that were brought to the U.S. along with the slaves. That That's was, really it was the African lute was the name of mm. the the instrument. That's really interesting. If you think about how it sounds, it does kind of sound like some of those uh, metal stringed instruments they have down in Africa, like that that weird twangy sound. Yeah, and... Now we have, you know, these Americana folk mm-hmm. bands winning all these awards, yeah. playing these instruments mm-hmm. that were made by black people, mm-hmm. and the white people are getting all the mm-hmm. success and excellence. Yeah, I think I think there's there in drumming there's a sig- significant thing called polyrhythms, and a lot of the polyrhythms in in drumming uh, originate from Africa, and then they have found their way into folk music for white people and uh-huh. it's a very similar thing where they they have these very complicated polyrhythm patterns that are african in origin in the, the whitest music you'd ever hear yeah mm-hmm. and who's getting the and glory they're getting awards for it. who's getting the glory mm-hmm. it's the white folk yeah yeah so that's nuts thankfully though there are people who are aware of this yeah and very important people who are aware of it mm-hmm. there's actually a museum called the National Museum of African American History and Culture at the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. Okay. And they have an exhibit that is exclusively all about this. Hmm. It's all about, like, African influence Yeah. Um, that's been kind of appropriated, yeah. for a lack of a better Conveniently word. Conveniently appropriated. Yeah, by white people. Yeah. So it's it's almost a way to kind of correct history mm. a little bit, to to say, like, Hey, we know all the white people are over here using this thing, mm. this banjo, for example. But did you know that it actually came from mm-hmm. Africa? Here's an exhibit on it. And also, I just wanted to bring up the fact that there's it's also South American. So there, it's not just a- African roots that we forget that white people have appropriated. We've also appropriated a lot of South American uh, beats and ways of playing music that get yeah. incorporated into our music that, yeah. that get taken and become ours. And they become ours and then yeah. we give ourselves credit for mm-hmm. it. <laughs> so, oh, With what I was saying about polyrhythms, there, yeah, there's more with that with South America too. Thankfully though, like I said, the National you know, Museum and the Smithsonian Institute, they do know about this. So yeah. like, there is a way for like people to learn, to learn, to kind of correct some misunderstandings mm-hmm. about history. Mm-hmm. And as far as the Grammys go, so not only is the the category of, you know, album of the year, you know, routinely racist in how they decide who wins it, even within the genres themselves, mm-hmm. there's some some questions. I'm sure. So I don't want to hurt your feelings because I know that you're a fan. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, God. I don't like where this is going. Yeah. But, okay, Eminem. Uh-huh. Great guy. Yeah. Great well, rapper. No, he's not, no, great, he's not guy. a great guy. Great rapper. Great rapper. Great Probably rapper. Probably the best ever, but. Literally, every single year that Eminem has ever been nominated he won. for Rap Album of the Year, yeah. he has won. Yeah. Every single year year that one i don't know if i put so much on it's just the fact that he was so known as the greatest like yeah like no it's argument a, it's a tough one yeah but it also is a little bit like mm-hmm. it doesn't even matter he puts out an album he gets nominated yeah. he wins there's mm-hmm. no like even if you or put your heart and soul into yeah. your own album. If, if it you, happens to come out the year Marshall puts one out, yeah, yeah, you're I not going to win. See that as I do kind of see that as bad, but he, yeah, he's just so damn good. It's hard to argue. But I see the 
the flaw there. And also in the same realm of rap in 2014, Macklemore, white. Yeah, he's a white dude. One best rap album. Mm -hmm. And that same year, he was up against Drake, Mm -hmm. Jay-Z, Kendrick Lamar, and Kanye West. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know that I would say he's better than any of them, except for maybe Kanye. And Kanye's a great producer, but Kanye's I, an excellent producer. I just don't like that guy. Yeah, well, he's kind of nuts, but that's besides the point. All right. The point being that even within quote unquote their own mm-hmm. music, they're getting oh yeah taken over by or white people are winning yeah. those years that they have albums. There's a guy dropped. Post Malone. He won a lot. He's a white guy. Yeah, his was like I think this year, but mm-hmm. yeah, this year or last year because I was yeah. looking at like who's won yeah. when. And the other interesting thing that kind of ties into what you talked about with cops and um, perspectives and what we are shown when you watch the Grammys, the parts that are aired mm-hmm. are selected. I'm sure, yeah, and there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. So if you watch, they don't show a lot of the rap. Or R and B side of the Grammys, mm-hmm. they tend to whitewash the yeah. whole show, and I never really thought about that before. Mm-hmm. But it's true. Yeah, I imagine it is. So they'll have like one or two representatives mm-hmm. from those categories, you know, just to keep it somewhat fair-ish. Mm-hmm. But it's not really right. And the rest is all white people. Mm-hmm. It's all country and mm-hmm. Americana and folk. That's interesting. I went through and I looked at who of the black artists that have been nominated for album of the year um, over the years do I think should have won the year that they were nominated. Just in my opinion. So we start with Nat King Cole. Oh, yeah. Then Prince. Okay. He never won. Any album? 1999, he was nominated. Purple Rain? Yeah, he was nominated. He didn't win. Wow. Ain't that some shit? That is some shit. Um, Janet Jackson. Mm -hmm. Tracy Chapman. Mm Mm-hmm. TLC, Nelly. Wow, it's hard to believe they didn't get one. Usher, Kanye West, Neo. Let me tell you, mm. I love some Neo. <laughs> yeah. That man can sing. He has the voice of an angel. Yeah. And he could sing me to sleep every night mm. and I would die a happy woman. I'm not a fan, but that's okay. That's allowed. Mm-hmm. I love him. Mm-hmm. He is beautiful. Yeah. He lost. He was nominated. He lost to Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. Oh, that is. Yes. Yeah. Like the whitest of Uh white. Yeah. So, oh, and then Beyonce, of course, she's been nominated. Yeah, that one blows my mind. Beyonce has lost to Beck. She's lost. Beck. Yes. He's a Scientologist. I know. She lost album of the year to him. Wow. She lost to Taylor Swift. And the most recent loss was this year, I believe, yeah, when she lost to Adele. Wow. And it's just, what's interesting to me about that is Beyonce is so famous and so popular. And has so She's much, prolific. Yeah, and has so much influence. It's like you can't go anywhere without her touch. And it just seems to me like she's earned it. For sure. No, so she lost... This was her album called Lemonade, mm-hmm. which um, was huge. it was huge. And it was tied in directly with the BLM yes, movement. And it had a visual movie that went with it. Yeah, like a, it was a really big yeah. deal uh-huh. and loved, you know. Yeah. She lost That's so crazy. to Adele. And Adele did the thing. <laughs> Adele did the thing that well, a lot won of for one freaking song. I'm a lot sorry, of Adele, white but people you, you won for one song. Yeah, that hello from yeah. the other thing. Yeah, that one. Anyway. Uh, Adele did the thing where she was exceptionally white during her <laughs> acceptance speech. Mm-hmm. And so she's standing up there holding her Grammy, knowing that she just won against Beyonce mm-hmm. and feeling guilty about it. Yeah. So she's nervous. She accidentally breaks her Grammy, oh. pops the little ball thing off. <laughs> and she's standing there and she's like, you know, thank you for this award. Um, but I do want to say that. I don't believe that I deserve it, truly. I think that Beyonce should have won. Mm. Can't believe that you didn't win. You've been an idol of mine for forever. I have always loved your music, and I enjoy listening to it, and so do all of my black friends. Ooh. Oh! (laughs) 
Okay, that's on the list of things white people should never say. So it's like she she wasn't attacked too bad for that because it was a very vulnerable moment. Yeah, I'm sure. Where it was like kind of like us here where yeah. we're learning. She mm-hmm. made a huge faux pas oh, yeah. in a very like spectacular mm-hmm. national, international mm-hmm. way. And it's kind of a humble brag, like I got black friends. Yeah. So she was trying to be like mm-hmm. relatable of like, I have black friends, Beyonce, this mm-hmm. isn't racist, you know. Um, but in the process just made herself sound ignorant. Yeah, I could see that. Um, so that happened. And then interestingly enough, it also happened when Macklemore beat out Kendrick Lamar for his Grammy. Macklemore mm-hmm. um, tweeted that night and said like, um, you know, you actually deserve this way more than I, I do. Think, and I mean, Kendrick Lamar is somebody who's very talented and very prolific as well. I mean, they're like, he, for sure, if you don't know who Kendrick Lamar is, that's like, it's because you don't know much about popular music because he is a phenomenon. He was at the Super Bowl. Right. And here's the thing. When I think about these artists, some of the ones that I've just mentioned, mm. and maybe it's just a personal preference kind of thing, but like, I can name their songs. Mm-hmm. I can sing along to all their songs because mm-hmm. I know the words. I enjoy listening to them. But when I looked at the list of the people who actually did win yeah. those years, with the exception of a few, I mean, like Alanis Morissette won one year. I can sing every single word well, yeah. to Jagged Little Pill. Well, <laughs> but that like, album deserves it. Yeah, but otherwise, a lot of them were artists that I'm like, eh. I don't even know that uh, album. Yeah. A lot of U2 was on there. I'm not a Bono person. They, uh, they, I, I'm not, I don't hate U2. I actually kind of like a lot of their songs, but they get a lot more credit than I think they might should be. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. For me personally, when I was thinking, when I was looking at this list of the black artists who were nominated but didn't win, I got, I just felt bad because I was like, those albums are ones that I have owned yeah. and that I've listened to mm-hmm. and that I thoroughly enjoy. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, they have a, I would give them a Grammy mm-hmm. if I was the Grammy person, but I'm not. So, yeah. You know? There's a certain intersectionality of what we just discussed, those two last two things, the the show cops and uh, the Grammys. Um, and that intersection would be uh, rap music and the persecution of rap music from the police. Oh, yeah. Which is what I would kind of like to uh, unpack as our next little... Yeah, please do. Next little chunk here, so... So there's a point where the police intersect with music and begin to actually prosecute and put in jail musicians who are making music that they don't like. And a lot of them happen to be rappers. What? And I would like to tell a little story about a rapper by the name of Mac Phipps who is still in jail and has been in jail for 20 years for a crime that he most definitely didn't commit. And he got convicted because of his rap lyrics. Literally from the lyrics of his song? Yes. The story takes place in New Orleans. And in New Orleans, so there's something that uh, I think maybe some people don't know about rap music is it's very diverse in the South. Uh, A lot of people characterize rap music as East Coast, West Coast, and South. Uh, But the South is very diverse. So in New Orleans, there's a music called bounce music. I'm sure you are familiar. I've heard of it, yeah. Bounce is a type of music that comes from way native, back-in-the-day New Orleans folks it sounds different than other kinds of music. It uses a big band, lots of drums and okay. mm-hmm. horns and just all it's it's a it's its own style of music. And then it got incorporated into rap. And so a lot of the rap that comes from New Orleans has a bounce influence. And it sounds a lot different than rap that comes from, say, Atlanta or right. to be even more exaggerated of East Coast rap, like some place like New York. Like the rap from New York sounds a lot different than the rap from New Orleans. Right. Uh, because of the cultural influence. And in the mid-90s, the rap in New Orleans got very, very popular. You made me remember a rapper by the name of Master P. Um, yeah, rings a bell. Yeah, he had a song called Make Em Say Uh that was very popular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he had a tank, and he started a record company called No Limit Records. You may be familiar because yep. they were exploding. When I say his album went triple platinum or quadruple platinum. Uh-huh. This was huge in the mid-90s. They were the biggest rap label that there was. And he hired a young rapper who had been aspiring to be a rapper ever since he was a little kid by the name of Mackenzie Phipps was his name. He went by mm. Mac Phipps. Okay. Um, And he was very, very smart. He was a very lyrical rapper. He was influenced by a lot of the New York East Coast style raps. He was very cerebral. Mm-hmm. Um, But No Limit wasn't really rocking that angle at that time. If you remember, No Limit was about exaggeration. It was, yeah. They had a big tank and lots of diamonds. And it was, it was built off of this New Orleans sort of 
big, over-the-top style. And that wasn't really his style, but he was such a good rapper. They brought him in, and he became their superstar. He he became huge. And his rap persona, he called himself the camouflage assassin. It was because he wore camouflage, and he'd assassinate you on the mic. Right. Well, he... Got his whole family involved in his rap career. His mom would take tickets. His dad would be a bouncer. His brother would be a bouncer. Like, they built a life off of this career that he'd been striving for. And one day, he was supposed to play a concert in a town called Slidell, which is a very small town mm-hmm. outside of New Orleans. I, yeah, I actually know where it is. I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. It's a mostly white town. Mm-hmm. And he was getting paid something like two grand to play the show. There was a very small amount. But he goes to play this rap show there. And during the show, there's a scuffle in the crowd. And someone gets shot. There's a gunshot. Somebody gets shot. Mm -hmm. Now, Mac gets down from the stage and runs over because his family's there. His brother, his mom. He's he's trying to find his mom. Trying to make sure they're okay. Now, he had broken a cardinal rule of rap. And it is a bad thing that he did this. But he had a gun on him. He had a gun. He pulled out his gun and kind of crouched down and was looking for his mom. There were several people that saw him holding a gun trying to find his mom. And... The police showed up and broke everything up, and they didn't know who did the shooting. And then the next day, they show up at Mac Phipps' house, and they arrest him for doing the shooting. And they say they have witnesses, and they're going to take him to court. He's like, I didn't shoot anybody. So someone was shot. Yes. Okay. And he died. He was shot in the leg, and he died. It was a, a, a man, a young man. And they wanted to pin it on him. And he says he didn't do it. There were... People there who said that he didn't do it, but some of them kind of want to change their story. The police are diehard trying to pin it on him. And so he goes to trial. They take, I mean, he goes all the way to trial. In trial, they quote his rap lyrics. So in trial, they read a song that he had written called Murder, Murder, Kill, Kill. It was a, it was a popular song. Oh, no. He talked about it a lot. It was satirical. It was supposed to be. Right. What I was talking about earlier, he was trying to show how ridiculous your impression of black men are. Right. You think we're a group of soldiers who are just trying to run around murder, and murder. Murder, murder, kill, kill. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that was the point of the song, but it was completely missed. And the prosecutor chopped up some of the lyrics and, you know, changed things around pulled to make them, it sound. Well, they probably pulled them out of context yes, and just did. showed them as individual lines mm-hmm. as opposed to an entire storyline. Exactly. And they took, so he had written a song about his father who was in Vietnam. And about his father being not somebody to be fucked with. And about how he would put a bullet in you if you fucked with him in Vietnam. Because that's how it was. Right. They took that lyric, the part about him putting a bullet in you, and put it next to another lyric that he'd written. That made it seem like he was saying, I'll put a fucking bullet in yeah, your Yeah, like, brain. I'm not afraid to shoot you. Right. But what he was really saying was, my dad was in Vietnam and this is how crazy shit was in Vietnam. But they don't care about any of that kind of context. They just care that he's saying he's going to murder people. And so they, the trial's this big farce. What do you know? Louisiana has a law where they can convict someone on a 10 to 2 jury. You do not have to have a unanimous jury in Louisiana. The reason why is because of racism. <laughs> um, and when Louisiana was starting its juries and wanted to make sure that black people could be convicted, they wanted to make sure that they couldn't have black people on the jury. And then all of a sudden they they couldn't convict them. So right. the idea was that no jury would ever have more than two black people and 10 white people. So therefore, if you made it so that it could be 10 to 2, you didn't have to worry about black people being acquitted right. of crimes. That's so dirty. I know. Isn't that fucked up? Yes. They have actually changed that law since. But he got convicted on a 10 to 2 white jury and got put in jail for the this murder which he never did and there's a lot of evidence to say that he never did it and he's not the type of person to do it and on top of all that he wasn't even there at the time the shot happened he showed up after so it's like physically impossible that he shot him from the stage everyone would have saw it they did like ballistics and stuff Mm -hmm. and they determined that so he just and he's still in jail to this day and there's a show uh, a podcast called louder than a riot by NPR, um, the Through Line podcast is doing a series. It's a very popular series, and it's still going on right now. And it's he has a three-part segment in there where they interview him and his family, and you really get the picture of how they frame this guy for his music. I mean, it was literally for the music he was making. He went to prison. Mm-hmm. And has been there for 20 years. And has been in prison for 20 years mm-hmm. over some lyrics, mm-hmm. song lyrics that he wrote. And Can you, like, I mean, if you just think about that, put that mm-hmm. into any other kind of context for for a white person. I know. You know, or I know. any other kind of artist, mm-hmm. an art that they create. I know. And you go to jail for that. I know. That's what you hear about in, like, 
communism, mm-hmm. like Korea. Exactly. You and know, the North scary, Korea. The scary thing about that, too, is with white musicians, say take an artist like Marilyn Manson or even a, a tamer artist like Kiss. When they dress up to be scary and be the thing that you fear and pretend to be scary demon people. Yeah. We all get that there's an exaggeration there, and then they're doing that to show us that they're human beings, and it's ridiculous for us to be scared of them. Right. But when it's a rapper doing it, we just don't see that. And I think that ties back into the very first part of this show Mm -hmm. with cops and how we have this cyclical, Mm -hmm. repetitive imagery of black people as criminals Mm -hmm. and even if they're writing rap lyrics and they're trying to show you how stupid it is for you to have this opinion of them you will then use that against we're saying see Mm -hmm. he's clearly a murderer Mm -hmm. and a criminal he wrote about it Mm -hmm. can you imagine if that the tables were turned and that was done to a white person it should be illegal for them to use lyrics from your song in a court trial that should not be allowed i agree that's absurd especially as that being like chopped up out of the bulk of their argument was Uh his lyrics it was that was their pretty much their only argument that's well and that he had a gun and he you know he admitted to having the gun later and he gave them the gun by the way it didn't match the gun that shot right that's what i was asking they did like ballistics and the bullets didn't the gun he had that day he admitted to having gave to the police and didn't match at all so Mm -hmm. Unless he had another gun that no one ever knew about or ever found, which is ridiculous. And, and like then, I said, he was on stage when it happened. The whole and, thing. And then, of course, this happened in Louisiana mm-hmm. during the time when they had the 10-2 yep. jury. Exactly. Where they were like, well, we'll count it with 10. Mm-hmm. Don't have to have all 12. It's all right. Yeah. And this is prosecution of somebody for their for their artistic expression in, in, in rap. And it, he's still in prison right now. Are there efforts to try to yes. get that appealed a and... huge efforts to okay. try to get him out it's been going on for a while yeah um he's gonna get out soon on good behavior either way he got 30 years and he's been in 20 that's insane though that's like such a long time mm-hmm. that's such a long time for a young man who was a rapper who was very smart and he his main regret was just that he didn't really want to be part of that like no limit thing he just needed it to become successful like mm-hmm. if he would have released another album his next album would have been just ridiculous and genius and he would have been like Nas yeah level. yeah i would have like where he started was like a stepping stone yes. for him he had potential to be one of the great he really did artists and if you listen to some of his music you'll understand why he was very 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 smart and articulate hmm. and he wasn't like a lot of the crew that he was around at the time and that's why he stood out above them right he stood out as as, as the shining star and he's the one who got taken down that's sort of a, a an anecdotal story of the, where all this intersects. Yeah. And how this has real world consequences for people. And it's a pretty sad place to end it. Yeah. Um but it's it's the world that we're living in and that's why black lives matter. That's why this movement exists. We need to to learn about these things because this shit just goes under the radar yeah we don't i would not have ever known any, any of that right if we hadn't dug into it mm-hmm. ourselves exactly i wouldn't either and then and i i want to tell everyone that that there are things you can do there are things you can learn as a white person yeah and we have some ideas for that we do um one of them being just simply supporting black artists yes. And black business owners. Mm -hmm. And probably since we're in the world of COVID right now, Mm -hmm. one of the best things that um, you can do um, is either donate. Yeah. So there are places you can go online Mm -hmm. um, and donate to black artists and black artist funds. And you can, if you just Google, honestly, you'll, there's, there's lists Mm -hmm. and you can get specific, you can get regional, Mm -hmm. um, um, to your location um, or more broad. Mm -hmm. Um, So donating is one. The other would be buying products Mm -hmm. or services from black artists and black business owners. Mm -hmm. And so in my white lady dive (laughs) into trying to figure out where to start, I found a website called blackartinamerica.com. Cool. It's like very straightforward. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So BAIA or Black Art in America is a black art collective promoting, showcasing, sharing, et cetera, black made art. Awesome. They have a newsletter where Hmm. you can sign up, which we, by the way, we signed up. Yeah. (laughs) And they also have an online course, which is free. 
mm-hmm. where they show you how to start your own art collection. Cool. So if you're someone who's not very knowledgeable yeah. or well-versed in art mm-hmm. and you're not entirely sure what you're looking for, but you know you want to support, you know you want to yeah. buy something, they actually have this course. Mm-hmm. It's free um, to show you how to begin and, and what to look for and okay. where to go to find it. So I thought that was pretty neat. It's very like... It's very white people friendly. (laughs) It's very white people friendly. Um, And the other thing that BAIA does is on the flip side of things, they provide an outlet um, for the artists themselves. Mm -hmm. So um, they will, they can help uh, new and upcoming rising artists uh, plan and stage their own exhibits Mm -hmm. and, um, hire the workforce needed for the exhibits, et cetera. So I thought that was pretty neat. You can also donate directly to the BAIA um, Mm -hmm. group. They have a Patreon. Cool. So you can, I think, sign up. It's like $3 a month or something like that. So I found that one. Oh, and they're based out of uh, Columbus, Georgia. Okay. Yeah. Very Mm. good website. Very interesting. Lots of blogs and things to read and look at. Um, So that was the first one. They have a Facebook page. We follow them now, by the way. Mm -hmm. The second one that I found is a website called shopblack.us. Okay. And shop is spelled S-H-O-P-P-E. Okay. So shopblack.us. Yeah, old English style Mm -hmm. shop. And this one is a Philadelphia-based company where they curate content and brand information specifically from Black-owned businesses. And it gets very specific. Mm -hmm. So if you were looking for like a very specific kind of business that's owned by Black folks, this would be where you Hmm. would go. Shopblack.us. You're like, I want to buy some water skis, but I don't want to buy them from a white guy. Well, I'm looking, I was looking through their website to kind of get an idea. And yeah, I mean, they have listings around the country for things like Black-owned gun stores or black owned credit unions mm-hmm. or black owned snack brands mm-hmm. and you and you can go from their website directly to these vendors and these sellers cool. and businesses and buy from them hmm. shopblack.us nice. very interesting place then and then the third one and final one is called webuyblack.com okay and this one the thing that i guess i would compare it to is like a scaled down version of amazon yeah or um etsy even Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of handmade items there and every product is sold um that's sold is produced and manufactured by a black owned business or a black artist and they have everything from like Home goods, books, health, beauty, toys, jewelry, clothing. And so when you go on the website, it looks a lot like Amazon. You can shop for individual items mm-hmm. or you can do what they have that I found kind of interesting is a grab bag mm-hmm. where you pay anywhere from $25 to $100. Yeah, and you just get some stuff. And yeah, and they will fill that bag cool with various and sundry items mm. of that value and then mail it to you. Mm. Um, so that's pretty neat. The um, the webuyblack.com, that website, um, when I was looking at it, I also went and looked at their Facebook page and I looked at reviews. And so the Facebook page has well over 300,000 followers Ooh. and their um, rating is like 4.9. Man, if we could just get like two percent of those would be set yeah if anybody wants to come like follow our facebook (laughs) um but i did see some reviews um for webuyblack.com that basically said their customer service is a little bit iffy Mm -hmm. so if you do go look at their website and you want to buy something maybe start small yeah before you go diving in and spending hundreds of dollars just in case Mm -hmm. the customer service because i don't want to like send somebody to that website Mm -hmm. and then have a bad experience yeah um, but then I was like, but they have over 300,000 followers and, yeah. and a really high score. So I don't know, but I wanted to make sure that I, mm. I did my research, yeah. um, especially since it's a marketplace mm-hmm. for shopping. Mm. Well, I think what I'd like to say about that is I, those are really cool. And I think they're all like worth looking into and, and buying things from, mm-hmm. and I, I can't wait till we live in a world where we don't have to do that in order to support black businesses where yeah where we don't have regular. to make a concerted effort to go out of our way to find a black artist but and we support do them. not and i want that to be clear we do not live in that world and we're not, not anywhere yet. close to it not yet no we don't so as long as we're living in this world those are things that i think are good yeah 
And I think to close this up, I want to present a couple of quotes that I think are good because it's questions we should be asking ourselves. So here's the first one. Racism is a spectrum with varying degrees of unconscious and learned behaviors reinforced by society every day. So the correct question is to what degree are you prejudiced against whom and why? And then the next one is, yes, racism looks like hate, but hate is just one manifestation. Privilege is another. Access is another. Ignorance is another. Apathy is another. Mm-hmm. So keep those in mind Yeah. while you're out there trying to learn and be the best you can be. So if you liked this episode and you liked what you heard, you can find us on our website to find more episodes. CarolinaSnowflakes.com We also have a Facebook. It's a pretty thriving community. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting some new followers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Facebook.com forward slash Snowflakes. And if we fucked up at any point and had white privilege all over this place, or if there's... Which we inevitably did. Yeah, and if there's something that you would like us to talk about or recommendations you have about this topic or something where I screwed up and just sounded like an ignorant white person, we would love for you to write us an email. Uh, Our email is... carolinasnowflakes at gmail.com. Gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.